Welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast, featuring interviews that take us deeper into the people and happenings on the local scene. For more podcasts and a closer look at what's going on in the Valley, visit us at valleyadvocate.com. Hello and welcome to the Valley Advocate Podcast. My name is Dave Eisenstatter. I am the editor of the Valley Advocate. Here this week with Jonathan Jenner, who is one of the founders of Western Massachusetts Asylum Support Network, and with Hope, an asylum seeker from an African country who now lives in Western Massachusetts. Thanks for joining us and talking about um, seeking asylum in Western Massachusetts, which is a three-part series that we're running in the Valley Advocate. First, Jonathan, I want to ask you about how you, you were one of the founders of the support network. Um, Talk a little bit about how you went about founding that and and why. Um, Yeah, so uh, I've been in Western Massachusetts for about six years now. Um, I'm a graduate student at uh, UMass. Um, While I've been here, I've been involved in uh, several different groups in the Valley doing different kinds of uh, immigrant rights work. Um, uh, For a brief time, I was with the Immigrant Protection Project with ACLU, um, and I've been a volunteer at the Pioneer Valley Workers Center for some time. Um, And in the fall of 2018 now, um, a call went out kind of through the Workers Center and through other networks um, for folks to go down to San Diego and Tijuana um, with a group out of New York, uh, the New Sanctuary Coalition. Um, but this was a group called Sanctuary Caravan that was going to go um, and meet the uh, migrant caravan in the fall of 2018 was the midterm elections. It was uh, being really politicized at that time. Um, and there was a group that was going to go down and meet with uh, kind of help meet some of the folks incoming um, from that caravan and work with uh, other groups that had kind of long-standing relationships uh, in the borderlands. Um, so I I, um, I went down with um, some funding that was crowdfunded uh, and then later with uh, some funding through uh, my union. I'm a member of United Auto Workers 2322. Um, and uh, I first went down as uh, just a translator uh, and I was just... Um, helping some folks who had a much better sense of what was going on um, just translate between English and Spanish as they spoke to people who were going to cross about what they could expect. Um, This is the metering system that um, has been covered in the in the advocate where people kind of take a number, um, wait for their number to to be called, and then cross over into um, U.S. immigration detention from um, from Mexico to U.S. from Mexico to the U.S. Yeah, and as you can imagine, that's a process that is uh, is first of all really complicated. It's hard to understand all the different pieces of it. It's also the kind of thing where um, you know thousands of migrants were in Tijuana. Um, they were in a difficult and precarious position uh, in Mexico already, um, and they were going into a difficult, precarious, and changing situation in the United States. Um, So it's a situation that was fraught with, first of all, a lot of trauma uh, associated with being an asylum seeker in the first place, um, and second, with lots of information and misinformation. Um, And we were there trying to kind of arm folks with the best possible information um, that we had uh, in order for them to make the best possible decisions. So it was letting people know what they could expect um, through the different stages of the process. Um, One thing that happens is pretty much everyone who crosses the southern border, um, either at a port of entry or not at a port of entry, um, goes into detention no matter what. 
It used to be that that was just a temporary kind of thing, um, but now uh, that's a much longer-term scenario, and uh, the only way to get out of detention um, is either to win your case or to get out in the uh, by by uh, through a sponsor. Uh, what's called an alternative to detention um, from ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. A lot of times for people, their sponsors would be a cousin, an uncle, a friend who's in the States. Um, but there were a good number of people who didn't have anyone or um, the very same reasons that they were fleeing um, were the same reasons that a family member wasn't particularly appropriate or a, a good sponsor. And we should say, asylum seekers, this isn't just a, a person uh, moving from one country or uh, to another for just any reason. Th- these yeah. are these are people who are fleeing real danger sometimes uh, of their lives um, yeah. to uh, to be housed in the United States and to, a, to another country to escape what... Um, uh, that danger, yeah, and 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 let me let me let me not forget. I mean, the a, a lot of a lot of what I was doing was just listening to people's stories and um, he- hearing their stories and and um, kind of prepping for them to be able to tell those stories in very non-sympathetic uh, area. They they're going to have to tell this to um, ICE agents, to different uh, members of the of the um, federal uh, immigration system uh, who are. Not there, you know, with a box of tissues as someone tells their stories. Um, and, and yeah, sometimes uh, you f- forget these parts of it when you're in it every day. But these are really traumatic, really um, hard and heavy stories. I had uh, just vicariously, just, just me, I had trouble sleeping um, in some of the camps in Tijuana. Uh, the stories I heard were some of the most violent, terrifying stories um, I've ever heard. Um, uh, people would show me what's up messages, threats that they'd had. They'd play me recordings of them. Um, they were scary and terrifying. Um, and, and yeah, that was a very, um, present, um, part of, of, of seeking asylum. People are fleeing danger. Um, the second thing is Tijuana is not particularly, uh, dangerous for me. I'm a white American with a passport. Uh, I can walk around and, um, you know, it's there's a kind of almost touristy vibe to Tijuana. Um, Tijuana is not a safe place to be un- undocumented in Mexico um, without any money, vulnerable. Um, it's it's a pretty dangerous place. So the danger was not only from the past, um, it was uh, actual um, in Tijuana. The other thing is, while a lot of people, uh, a lot of the asylum seekers in Tijuana preparing to come to the uh, States, um, are from Central America. There was a significant amount of people from other countries. There were lots of Haitians, um, lots of uh, people from different parts of Africa, from different parts of Asia, um, who all made it to Tijuana somehow. Um, and uh, it's a it's a really different place being a, a, a white American citizen walking around Tijuana and being. Um, poor and black and undocumented and any, any other kind of uh, different marginalization uh, makes Tijuana and the U.S. borderlands in general kind of a very dangerous place to be. One of the really significant things that the Asylum Support Network does is connect, as you've mentioned, is connecting asylum seekers with uh, sponsors who will put them up um, in Western Massachusetts in this region. And um, Luis spoke to uh, one woman, Lynn, we're not 
sharing her last name, um, who agreed to put up a, a woman and, and her daughter who were seeking asylum in, in this country. Can you talk about connecting with people like Lynn um, who are who wind up being sponsors for asylum seekers? Yeah, so so when I came when I came back from the border, I, I knew a, some amount of people here, but also had a good idea of what different kinds of support networks were here, um, and realized there was a, a lot of people at the border who needed sponsors, um, and a lot of people in Western Massachusetts um, who wanted to help, but I think often felt like the news that they were seeing from from different sources that that was something far away. Um, but that uh, that they could open up their houses to and and have that you know um, make this thing that seems so distant actually be right here. You know, you see those signs all around town. Um, uh, it doesn't matter where you're from. We're glad you're our neighbor. A kind of way of actualizing that. Um, what we do is we we don't match people. We we kind of invite people to get to know each other and kind of develop a relationship that can be sponsorship. Um, so uh, there was uh, a lot of the first folks who came were people who I met personally. Um, I gave out my phone number um, to, to a lot of people and just had them call me from detention. Um, I never really planned at first all of this structure. None of us really did. Um, it was just kind of what we could do at that time. Um, but then I started hearing from more people here, people interested in getting involved. And this structure kind of emerged where we could start to match people. They could develop independently of us their own relationships, and those could become then sponsorship. And that's that's what happened with uh, Lynn. Um, there was a, a woman from Honduras who I had met um, in, uh, in, in Tijuana. Um, she came uh, and and lived here with her with her family. She stayed with me for a time and then with some other sponsors. Um, and she had a friend um, who's then featured in your story from from a country that we're not naming, um, who she had met in Tijuana. And and that woman uh, first talked to Lynn um, and then and then eventually came here and is is here with her daughter now and um, is going through the process of asylum. Um, that's what we do. Um, we, uh, we find folks who are interested in um, being a sponsor. Uh, that basically means giving housing and taking care of someone while they go through the asylum process. And just a, a word on that real quick. Um, asylum, uh, while you're seeking asylum, um, you have a standing order of deportation. Um, the fact that you've passed the first step of your asylum process, which is called the credible fear interview, um, that is the one thing that prevents you from de being deported. Other than that, you're, um, uh, you're undocumented. Um, that means you can't uh, find work. Um, it's hard to get uh, access to health care, hard to get access to all of these things. Um, and that's, that's part of um, government policy um, designed by... Um, Who was the guy from Alabama? Yeah, Jeff Sessions uh, and and others. I mean, it's been a part of uh, the, <laughs> it's been a part of uh, kind of the the, the strategy to um, uh, discourage uh, seeking asylum is is that it makes it hard for people. So so that's what sponsors do. Um, and sponsors, and that that's one aspect of what the asylum support network does. Um, but it's not the only one. There's there's other volunteers who are not putting up 
um, people in their homes, but are still um, being supportive in other ways. Yeah, part of what we realized is that, you know, this this idea that really does take a whole community coming together and really uh, doing a lot of work to to do the hard work of being the kinds of welcoming communities that we really want to be. Um, there's uh, a lot of uh, things that need to be done, and, and we kind of have the idea that uh, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. Um, we've... Uh, we're, we're, we're really concerned about people getting burnout and kind of wanting to commit to stuff and then not being able to do that. Um, and so the idea of the broader network is that we have sponsors who, who house people, but then we have a broader network to help people with the whole host, the very busy work of starting a new life in a strange new land. Um, I've come to really like Western Massachusetts. Um, but this is, uh, it's a different place, uh, right? Or it's a particular place. Um, so people help, uh, one of the big ways is giving rides, um, our, the local ice office for here is in Hartford, uh, and people need to go check in in Hartford, so we, uh, coordinate rides, uh, for people going to Hartford, but then a whole host of other needs, um, some of them, the more mechanical, uh, we help people learn English along with a lot of other, uh, groups and organizations, the International Language Institute, the Center for New Americans, um, Jones Library in Amherst helps with this, uh, learning English, um, doing different kinds of just figuring out what's going on, getting kids in school, and then other kinds of things, just building relationships, um, meeting people, um, kind of connecting people with therapists and stuff, and just kind of, uh, we try not to promise a whole lot, but what we tell people is we're, we're going to do kind of the best we can um, with what we got. We're going to try to kind of build this road together and, and see what we can do. So in the more or less uh, a year that you've um, been established as a group, um, you've, you've helped, is it about 20 or 20 plus uh, asylum seekers get settled in the valley? Is that, is that about right? Um, there's there's 25 people who've come through our network, mm -hmm. um, and there's there's other networks operating. Uh, and next week in the in the Advocate will be uh, a look at trans asylum seekers. And here there's yeah, also thanks the, for that the, plug. The, yeah, there's also the uh, trans asylum seekers support network who we work very closely with. Um, they have a number of people who've come through that network. And your network is about 70 volunteers, uh, more or less, um, that, that support those people. Yep, uh, 70 volunteers, um, 16 sponsors um, in that year. Um, yeah. And in addition to that, uh, we also uh, wrote up a little bit about Ted, a local landlord who's not one of those 70 volunteers, but is still kind of, an, uh, you know, in some ways an auxiliary uh, to your group um, through through support um, that uh, that he's providing, um, yeah. a little bit of uh, you know financial help um, in the form of lower rent. Yeah, I can I can just say a, a piece on that. Um, we were looking for an apartment uh, for some folks who who were um, who were looking for a place, um, as you can imagine, you know, and. When me, an American citizen, go to look for an apartment, I might go to an agency and ask for a credit report and references and all kind of social security number and all of these things. And that's something that asylum seekers who are going through an eminently legal process, uh, that's something that they don't have. Um, so going through agencies is its not going to happen. Um, went through Craigslist, found this place. I kind of uh, wrote to some folks. Uh, we showed up. Um, 
Ted uh, was a really nice guy who showed us around the place. Um, and I said, you know, here's my friend who's looking for a place, these kind of things. Um, but uh, this old white guy is asking, so where are you from? Right. And that's a little bit, it's a little bit weird. It's uh, Hey, and, um, but um, Santiago uh, from last week's story um, said, you know, Hey, here's actually what's going on. He was really forthcoming and said, you know, here's, here's what's going on. Um, Ted then gave us an application. We went, filled it out. Um, we're bringing it back uh, uh, and we're bringing it back. And, and Ted, uh, the next time we saw him, he, he came up and he said, uh, hey, I didn't actually tell you guys this the first time, but uh, I'm a refugee myself. Um, that's, you know, that's why I was asking uh, where you're from. I really uh, empathize with you. In fact, I moved to Northampton when I was 13 and I had to learn English. Um, and it was a really touching story of, uh, uh, and I think uh, a really touching story. Uh, Ted is um, Polish, but was um, born in, in Germany, and uh, his, his parents were taken to Germany to work in labor camps. Um, and yeah, he, he came here and, uh, when he was 13 years old. Um, that really touched me. I know that really touched uh, our friend Santiago. Um, and, and also for me connected to, there's other groups in the area, there's, um, uh, Jewish activists for immigration justice, and they've been emphasizing that particularly this never again, um, theme and some of the lessons of, um, forced migration and, uh, asylum seeking, uh, that the world really painfully learned, um, with antisemitism and, the, uh, of World War II era Europe or fascist era Europe, um, that really kind of brought a lot of it home and kind of passed on that this, you know, these, these, unfortunately, these aren't new themes. These are themes that, um, a lot of, a lot of folks come from here. So one of the interesting things about the asylum support network is the structure and the interest in having asylum seekers themselves be a part of the decision-making process. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I guess I guess one of the things that uh, we've always wanted to get away from and what we do is have this idea that um, there's a group of us who are helping out others. Um, we're kind of uh, like to think that we're really building a road together. Um, when I think about this, I'm trying to make my home, Western Mass, into the kind of house that I want it to be, um, a house that's welcoming, a house that um, uh, is the place where I would like to be um, if I needed to pack up all my stuff in the middle of the night and, and go um, live in, say, Honduras. Um, in order to do that, one of our kind of fundamental principles here is that um, it's not our place to make decisions for anyone. Um, what we want to do is uh, make sure we're getting people in the best place for them to be able to make um, the decisions that only they know how to make for themselves. Um, and uh, But also, you know, we're... Uh, folks who have been here for longer. Um, we're the ones who have a different kind of set of relationships and um, know the kind of ecosystem of the valley better. Um, so in our structure, we kind of have a, a central coordinating committee um, that, that delegates tasks out to a lot of people, and we try to be fairly horizontal there. Um, we have a fundraising committee, a day-to-day -day committee, uh, a, a committee that helps people uh, take care of their health care, um, and then a legal committee that doesn't represent people, but just kind of 
makes sure that we're on top of the different kinds of things that need to happen for people in their legal cases. Um, on each of those committee in, committees, including the Central Coordinating Committee, um, at least one asylum seeker is present um, in order to make sure that uh, the decisions that we're making um, are uh, have voice from those who are going to be uh, most impacted by it. It's not only have voice, but also just a lot of the uh, a lot of the knowledge, um, a lot of the different the forms you need to fill out or how this thing works at ICE, that comes directly from people who learned it in detention. Um, those people are now serving on our various committees, and they're the ones who know better than anyone um, how to do that. And that's, that's kind of fundamental to what we do. The thing we keep going back to is um, we're building the road as we go. I want to turn now to you, Hope. Uh, that's not your real name, but that's the name we're using for you for this podcast. Uh, you are an asylum seeker, and I understand that just today or, or this week, you got a bit of good news. Could you share that with us? Uh, that was a very um, real living uh, news because it feels like uh, a big stone is like taken off your your shoulder or something like that. Um, when you are an asylum seeker, you're going through a lot. Only like not only in your, you know, original country where you're running from danger of life, but when you get to a new country, new culture, new everything, and again you're not even very sure that you're gonna get what you're looking for. So because it take long time, so you just live in that fear and uh, uncertainty of you know, not knowing really exactly what to expect. And now you've been, life. and now you've been granted asylum in the and U.S. Now, yes, that's why I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know even how to feel. It's just a few days ago, and now I'm like, I still feel like I'm dreaming. To be honest with you, it's a very um, uh, best feeling you can have. So I want to ask you, you got connected to the region through the the Western Mass Asylum Support Network. Tell me about about that and, and getting um, connected with the group? Uh, I have a few American families uh, who live here in the Valley that connect me to their network. And uh, um, I got here November last year. So that's how I got, got connected to the network. And uh, the network has been really... Um, sometimes it's really hard to define these people because, you know, on, on top of your trauma and everything, fear and living and, and unsure and, you know, life, uh, you don't expect to really find people that can be that loving, caring and give you their time and, you know, just they don't know you. You, they just saw you. So, and in real life, you don't really get people that um, will give you their time when they don't even expect anything from you, you know, so in real life. So it's a very special, um, uh, I would say I've been um, learning a lot from them because I met people that I never... I could never imagine that I will meet. 
and uh, I saw special human beings in those people that you know uh, are really working with the network and also I would say finding people with a special level of compassionate empathy and you know it's not something you really can always find especially when you know you, you you're a person you're not offering anything and they just helping you so to me the network is not even only what like to go and take those people from detention and that's it it's so amazing the way they like go even in details in your everyday life as an asylum seeker you know they make sure that you have something to put on your skin like clothes you have something to eat you found like you slept well they have that time even to check on you every day even not only on the phone they would like drive miles and miles to come and see you to make sure you're safe so you know those people they're just you know i don't know i call them blessing yeah and you uh, you are a beneficiary of the of the Western Mass Asylum Support Network, but you were also a volunteer and you also do things for the network. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that work that you do. Uh, yes, I currently volunteer uh, with the network. I am, they have, I think Jonathan uh, talked about it in details. They have like different committees. So I'm on day-to-day committee and uh, fundraising committee. What, what is day-to-day committee? What, what kind of things do they... So day-to-day uh, committee is uh, uh, more uh, focusing on everyday living life. So I will talk about like if people need rights to their appointments, if people need, you know, someone to go with for grocery shopping, if people need, you know, help, even, you know, mental or, or emotional support if it's that's like everyday life that needs uh that's what day day to day committee do so yeah and you're on one other committee as well yes the uh what was that the fundraising committee uh fundraising committee in day to day committee yeah i'm my own different uh, those two different committee so i want to just talk about um a uh, little bit in details about the day-to-day committee because, yeah, what I just said earlier, those people are just amazing, you know. Mm. I've learned a lot with how people can, um, how you can just find love in uh, a very worst moment of your life but there are still people that really care about you and they will just um, welcome you the way you are so as I explained they will just make sure and this goes for all the asylum seekers it's not only me but I'm talking about like facts because I'm 
uh, myself an asylum seeker and I've seen those things happening. And I, I, uh, the day I, I, uh, I um, became a, a member of the day-to-day committee, I can see now, like, I can see how they're helping others. Sometimes you think, oh, it's just me, you know? But it's just everyone. They have that big heart, that big, you know, I don't know, that big envy. And uh, they just lay their heart out there to welcome everybody and to help no matter what. So they would just spend nights and nights calling people or, you know, like uh, helping people to like to from the detention or finding, you know, legal support, financial assistance, health insurance and, you know, everything. So I just came here. I didn't really know anybody, but I feel like I have family because of them. You know, they make you feel home, really. So what they're saying is real. It's like real, real. It's not just in papers or, you know, Jonathan coming and, you know, talking. No, it's real. It's a life. Uh, I would say it's they try to, they're the only people that I've seen that can try to be in your shoes and really feel the same thing. So we're we're not gonna go into your uh, past experiences um, uh, fleeing and, and getting to the United States, um, you know, for your safety. But I did want to ask about your uh, experiences being in Western Massachusetts. What you've uh, seen here, what you know, what you what you think of the of the region. Hmm. Um, the region is uh, okay. The network makes things simple and easy for you. You feel safe here, but you can't live just uh, like having a bodyguard all the time of you. Of course, you will have, you know, to maybe take a walk around and, you know, see different people. So, um, uh, Speaking of my experience so far here, uh, the culture is different, people are different. So sometimes I don't know how to talk to people, or I may, you know, uh, my maybe my culture is uh, like, or when I meet someone, I I have to say hi, and people may just ignore you for no reason, or you know, I'm I have a dark skin. So sometimes, to be honest, I experience that, you know, like difference because I have my, the color of my skin. There are people who will just treat me like, you know, trash and for no reason. So, yeah, it's hard. You know, on top of your whatever trauma you're having, you know, from you know, the country you're running from. So being in a new place, being in a, a new uh, culture, being with uh, different people and learning, it's, it feels like you're learning to walk for the first time, actually. So you learn how 
you feel like you, you have to learn how to talk to people, how to behave with people. Uh, I don't know if, if I react this way, it will make sense to them. You know, if I do this, it will make sense to them. So it's just everyday discovering and learning. So it's hard, but with, again, the network, they're always there to support you and to guide you and to, you know, to make you feel safe and comfortable and to tell you, oh, yes, we know it's a process, but you'll make it. So, yes. So we said before, you now are, you have received asylum. Um, what is next for you? Hmm. Uh, what next to me? Uh, I will answer that question in this way. Um, the to get the answer from you know the asylum approval was like I felt like oh you know it's like oh I need to breathe mm. like I need I need to take time to like breathe and feel feel my foot and my body and my head and my hands because it's been like so many years I didn't sleep mm -hmm. to be honest you know I didn't sleep well so it's been so many years I didn't feel safe anywhere so you know it's like you start to just feel safer every day because you've got a good news that there is a place at least that accepts you and ready to um, uh, help you to um, feel safer. That's what means asylum to me. So uh, it's just been a few days. And uh, yes, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm so uh, excited to, you know, uh, be able to walk. You know, to be able to walk and to be able to um, help out, you know. And uh, uh, I feel like I want to uh, focus more in helping others to share uh, the uh, chances or the love that I have received from the network. So as I volunteer in the network, I really feel like I want to continue that at the moment and meanwhile you know figuring out my life of course because to be honest I didn't have any plan because I didn't know what's gonna happen you know so yeah that's where I'm at well Hope thank you very much and Jonathan thank you as well for speaking with me um, uh, this is a uh, related to Luis Fieldman's three-part series Seeking Asylum in Western Mass um, this was uh, part two, creating a welcoming home for those forced to flee. It's out on newsstands right now. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit us at valleyadvocate.com.